Welcome to The Upshot, Multi-World Disc Golf's podcast about the latest in the disc golf world. I'm Charlie Eisenhood, the publisher of Multi-World Disc Golf, and I'm joined, as always, by Jamie Thomas. And we are coming off a week off and, you know, a little, little 4th of July vacation. And you know, Anything happened in disc golf this, this last couple weeks, Jamie? Anything we missed? I, I thought you were about to ask me how my fourth was, and I was about to say nobody cares because something happened in Michigan, and nothing will ever be the same in this sport. Wow. Indeed, something did happen. A little Disc Golf Pro Tour event. We kind of shrugged it off two weeks ago. We were like, yeah, you know, Great Lakes Open. People kind of just looking ahead to Kona Peach Day. But my, did that change. Did that ever change as Paul Macbeth, of course he wins the tournament, whatever, in the second round of the Great Lakes Open, he shoots an 18 under par, he has 16 birdies, one eagle, and one par to shoot an 18 under, and not only that, so, so the course record was set in round one by Macbeth. And also Kevin Jones, and I have to look to see who the third person was. Uh, it was Dave Nico, Feldberg. Or Feldberg. Nico, sorry. They shot 11 under. Course record. Great day for those guys. Awesome. Paul Macbeth comes out on Saturday and shoots an 18 under. That is seven strokes better than anybody else that day. And, I, I mean... Just on its own, just hearing the number 18 under is so amazingly impressive. Then you go back and you watch the round and you watch some of the putts that he's hitting and you're like, wait, is this even humanly possible? And then, then Jamie, he gets not a, not a, not one of his putts on sports center top 10. He gets a full on multi-minute segment on sports center about his round with full read-throughs, multiple hole coverage, and I think, best of all, quotes from Shakespeare's Macbeth. Yeah. Okay, side note, I love how many people, like the Macbeth quotes just went over their head. I saw other <laughs> people complaining, and I was like, no, don't complain about Neil. He's awesome. Quoting Macbeth and, and giving the sport its first spotlight on SportsCenter. I, I can't lie to you. I was up all night after that. I just I was so excited. I could not sleep. I didn't throw the round. I just I just saw it. I saw it at like eleven at night, and I probably didn't fall asleep till five a.m. Just because I'm like just sitting there, I'm like watching everything I can. And wow, I mean, what a time to be a disc golf fan right now. It's insane. And you remember back to Waco earlier this year. Macbeth did the same thing that he did in the front nine at Great Lakes. He shot 10 under. He had eight birdies and an eagle. And I remember at the time, Waco, everybody was going, oh my God, like Macbeth is 10 under through nine. This is insane. And and then he kind of dropped off the pace. He had a bogey, got a lot of pars, and ended up not even having the hot round on the day, despite the incredible start. But I mean, people were still talking about the front nine. And here, he comes out, he eagles hole two, and then has eight birdies through nine. He pars 10, 
and you almost wonder in the back of his mind, is he thinking, not again? You know, not, I'm playing so well, not again. But then he answers with eight birdies to close it out and finish with an 18 under. And I mean, this is just, it's so, it's like almost hard to wrap your head around. And like the first thing I did was start thinking about like, what are the comparisons to other sports? Like what, what is this? And we'll get to that. So like, let's just, let's just hold off on that. Yeah. Wait, wait, Charlie, wait, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. So, so let's just, let's just, let's just zoom out. Okay. So shot 18 under, obviously that's going to put him pretty much put this thing away you know, he's got, he picks up seven strokes on the field at least. And he ends up winning uh, the tournament with a 40 under total. Uh, and uh, that's nine strokes ahead of second place. Willie Prince, Willie Prince, shout out to Willie Prince for, he shot a 14 under in the final round, which is pretty damn solid. Uh, and had himself, you know, the best, probably the best performance of his career. And yeah. um, so shout out to him, a, a Michigan native. His best performance on the Pro Tour this year was 44th at Jonesboro Open. So to go from 44th a couple months ago to second place, yeah, have yourself a day. Nico Locastro finishes in third, 29 under. That's two strokes back of Prince. And uh, closing out the top five, James Conrad, 27 under. And then Dave Feldberg and Grady Shue tied at 26 under. So, you know, a lot of good performances, but uh, Macbeth clearly coming away the, not just the champ of this tournament, but again, after the break, we're going to get into what this means, what this is all about, and uh, let's let's just talk through the rest of this tournament for a second. I can tell that you're struggling right now to like wrap your head around what has just happened this past weekend. So epic. Like, like, how, like, where where do you start this conversation? Because no matter what angle you attack it from, it's such an insane performance. It's truly and insane. The craziest thing is, like, like you were talking about in Waco, I, I want to go back to that point. He did this earlier this year in the front nine. And, you know, we're totally guilty of watching the rest of the season and going, Oh my God, Eagle McMahon, you know, three out of four in tees. Oh my God, Ricky is now shaking off the rest. We're talking about all these people. We're talking about Kevin Jones and all these. And Paul Macbeth has, relative to the amount of media coverage he usually gets, has slipped a little bit, playing a little second fiddle to some of these other names. That's true. But he just keeps finding different ways. Like, okay, if he's not winning a tournament, he's just going to find a different way to remind us how good he really is. There's something so electric about when he is playing his best. I mean, it really is. And like, it's, it feels like a trite comparison, but it, it, for me, it feels similar to when Tiger Woods plays well. There's something about the combination of the, the raw talent and the attack mindset and the personality and the moment that makes performances like this one so special. Like, who else goes out and shoots an 18-under? Nobody. Nobody does that. That is McBeast. That's it. There, There isn't anybody else who can go do that. Sure, people beat Macbeth, you know, this season regularly. 
He doesn't always bring his A game. But the thing is, the thing that makes sports great and the thing that makes disc golf great is that there are these moments where somebody just goes and does something that is so insane, like so inconceivable for everyone else. And like I say, someone like, no, Macbeth does that. And it, you just sit back and you, your jaw drops. I, I, the, it, it, there is nobody else to pull this off. And that's what makes it so exciting. That's what makes Paul Macbeth so exciting. That's why he sells the most discs. That's why he's the number one paid player. All that. It's not Complete just package. about the wins. He hasn't been winning that much. Right. He's he's Tiger. He he is the Tiger of our sport. There's there is no doubt. He has upped the media coverage. He has branded himself. He has caused other people to change how they play the game. And they he has caused course designers to lengthen and and stretch and make courses harder. I mean, we could go down the checkbox you know, McBeast and Tiger next to each other. And there's so much similarity. It's ridiculous. There's, yeah, anybody who thinks he's not Tiger Woods of our sport is is probably has a bias towards another player, which is fine. It's totally fine to be a fan, but you have to recognize great greatness when it stares you in the face. This is, this is greatness that we're looking at. This is just pure greatness. Uh, Sarah Hokum, one FPO, eight under, Paige Bierkas by six strokes. Jessica Weiss in third place at even. Another nice win for Sarah Hokum. You know, kind of a lighter field this week. No no Paige, no Katrina, uh, but still showing that she's playing very well. You know, it's like funny to like talk about this recap when like, who cares who won this tournament? It's just like the the, the thing that it, it, it just, it's all about Macbeth this week. And this Sports Center feature, I mean, I've been doing this for... Five, almost six years, coming up on six years, Frisbee as my job, disc golf for like two and a half, ultimate for six, and I have had those moments of like, oh my God, you know, there's a Frisbee clip on SportsCenter, top 10. Wow, look at this clip on top 10, amazing. And like, don't get me wrong, that stuff is really cool. This is just, this is not something I've ever seen before. Ultimate, disc golf, there... Like even Brody Smith hasn't like gotten this kind of run on Sports Center. This like is it is it so significant? I mean, Darren Ravel, the business reporter for ESPN, tweeted about this segment and was like, "This is the best." I'll pull I'll pull up the tweet because I want to read it to you. Uh, but like, it feels like this is the kind of thing that could just like like tip the scales in some ways. I remember a few years back talking to our buddy Mo, who was uh, on the top ten desk at the time, or or behind the scenes at top ten, and and I remember asking him. I said, "Is it important that we're on the top ten? Like like, how much is this really going to do for us as a sport?" And he said, "You know, it's fine, it's good, but they res- they reserve spots for niche sports, and we didn't get on all the time. It was mainly like during the slower." months at first like the summer and i remember him telling me he said when you get a package when they're going to put together a package for you and talk about it then you know that's going to be a milestone and just the first thing i thought of when 
and I'll be honest, I didn't even see it at first because I'm like trying to be on vacation and have a low key week. And uh, people started texting me. And then when I saw it, that's the first thing that came to my mind, that conversation with Mo and just so it it is insane. I mean, the fact that like you're saying, guys like Darren Ravel, guys like Neil and Stan are going to call out the highlights. It's just it could this could be one where we look back in 10 years and say, remember that moment when things changed? Darren Ravel, ESPN sports business reporter, has got over 2 million followers on Twitter. He tweets, professional disc golfer Paul McBeth finishes with 40 under par over three days to win the Great Lakes Open. These are the sports I need my sports center to cover, and they did tonight. And, you know, who knows how much tongue-in-cheek there is there. He obviously focuses on the wrong thing, like, okay, 40 under for three days, whatever. Like, the reason this made the show and deserved to make the show was because of the 18 under round. But, you know, these are not insignificant things. And this is the kind of stuff that can capture someone's attention and get them to come play disc golf. And they say, you know, I've been thinking about that sport, and I should go check out the course that's by my house and try it out. And, man, it's just, it just feels momentous. There's no other way to put it. it. It feels like a a watershed moment, as you said. I hope it is. And I hope we, I hope this makes the pro tours fundraising job easier. I hope this makes the national tours support easier. I mean, you know, I don't want to oversell it. Like there's so much. And the only, if you want to be a little more realistic and a little more cynical about this, you have to look and say, well, information cycles turn over faster than they ever have in history history so and sports being a what have you done for me lately culture something else will take it i mean you know lebron just signed his contract with the lakers this morning officially so like you're gonna have a dominating cycle of preseason basketball football's coming up things like that and and the mainstream sports media will be you know veer away from it but man just to just to put it right there at the perfect time of year. If he does this in February or March when Get you've got here, no chance. Bait, spring baseball and like, you know, March Madness and, and the Super Bowl and that kind of NHL. Stuff. Yeah. So it's just it's the right place at the right time and he's found a way just to break through and, and get media eyes on him once again. Yeah, and, and for me I, I think when I say it feels momentous and like a watershed moment, I mean more in the sense of disc golf rather than like media coverage or I don't think ESPN is going to go pick up the Disc Golf Pro Tour and put it on their channel anytime soon. But it feels like a moment where, like, this was this is just like a moment that people are going to remember forever in Disc Golf. Not not even because of the ESPN thing, but just because of the round and the like sheer audacity to go shoot eighteen under. And you know what? I have to admit, Father Charlie, I have a confession. I had begun to doubt McBeast a bit. Wow. I don't know I don't know if I had said it publicly as much. I mean, obviously we talked about his putting in the early season, but but we all knew he could still play at this level. I began to doubt whether he would play at this level. Because I as I'm watching him throughout this season, 
I saw him get mad at putts. I saw him get mad at missing 35 footers, 40 footers, even like the occasional just inside the circle, maybe hit the top link and bounce out. And he, he would get frustrated and, you know, punch his offhand and, and just like, and I'm sitting there thinking, dude, come on, like respect the game a little bit. You're not going to make them all. And then he does this and it, I just, was like, oh yeah, no, he actually can make them all, and that completely justifies him getting upset over a forty footer. Whereas, if you saw me on the course getting upset over those same putts, you would laugh me off of out of the tournament, <laughs> out of the state. You'd be like, get out of here, dude. You're not being realistic. But I began to doubt, and he pulled the miracle. It, it just it blows my mind. It blows my mind. What great exposure, by the way, for both Jomez and the Disc Golf Pro Tour to to get this, um, you know, at, at a tournament that that otherwise may have gone kind of under the radar. Um, pretty crazy stuff. So, look, we're gonna take a break. We got a lot more to come. We're gonna talk Kona Piche Open, which starts tomorrow, and we're gonna talk, of course, more about this eighteen under round. So, stick around. You're listening to the Upshot. Macbeth from 60 feet. Oh. Got it. Fair is foul. Foul is fair. Hover through fog and filthy air. Welcome back to the Upshot. All right, so the chatter online and something we got to hash out right now. Was this the greatest round ever played? And 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 I'll just throw it to you right off the top, Jamie. What do you think? Does this qualify as the greatest round ever played? It, and we'll talk more about this in a second, it was not the top-rated round ever. Paul Macbeth holds that, but it was not this round. So put that aside for the moment, just straight up, best round of all time? I don't know who could argue against it. I mean, honestly, I wish, I kind of wish this, this was a live show where we could just be like, call in right now if you have a legitimate argument to, to say that this is not the greatest round of all time. It is the lowest relative to par that has ever been thrown at a, you know, at a tournament that matters. No offense to you being C-tier weekend warriors. If you're, if you're throwing rounds like this, congrats. That's awesome. No disrespect, but this is another level. Uh. You know, you know why else? Here, I'll give you because I could make the usual argument, right? And I'm sure every disc golf fan, at least the ones that listen to this podcast, have already argued with their friends about whether this is the greatest round ever. Let me give you the the break point. When we were talking about Paul going ten down through nine at Waco, and he took a par on the eleventh hole, which he did. Same thing, deja vu. When he took that par, or sorry, on the 10th hole, excuse me, when he took that par this weekend, he laid up. We watched him in Waco, and he continued to attack really, really, really hard, even when he was out of position. And what I love about this round is that on the 10th hole, after slipping on the tee pad, he just laid up and tapped in and moved on to the next one. He, he took stock of his position. Like, you could almost feel at Waco that he was going for 19 under. And because he was going for 19 under, he missed 18. And he missed it by a handful of holes. 
But this time, he grew. He grew from that experience, and he laid that up and said, one par is okay. It's not going to turn into a bogey, and I'm going to go out because it was a fluke. I slipped. He didn't push harder after that. He played with the exact same intensity, stayed on the level, stayed solid through the rest of the round. For that reason, because golf is not just a physical game, golf is so mental, and it's so easy when you're running as hot as he is and was for you to overstate or you slip one time and you throw not quite as good of a shot and then you try harder and harder and harder to make sure to stay at that level, and he just stayed solid. And in a way, in, in the meta game, I think that's harder to do than if you're just running hot and parking everything. So to me, there's no question. The ratings, ridiculous. Ridiculous. We, we've been complaining about ratings for a long, long time. And, you know, the PDGA, they, have, they call it their proprietary algorithm because they're afraid of people stealing it, which I personally find to be a little bit silly. Uh, but... It, Something's got to tweak because how this is not the highest rated round of all time is is just ridiculous to me, honestly. This ended up being eleven oh eight rated, and that's it's again, not even in the top five. He, Charlie, he, he, not even in the top five. He he beat the course record by seven strokes, seven strokes. He set, which he set the day before, and did on Sunday. He uh, shot the previous course record on uh, Sunday. His average was more than two thirds of the holes. That's so insane. I, I, I just, yeah. You know, the thing about round ratings is like, sure, it like is relative to the competition that you're playing. I get that. There's a very sensible way of doing things, but how this doesn't have a higher rating just seems, it just seems straight up wrong. It seems straight up wrong. And, I don't know. There's nothing more to say. I mean, obviously, it would have helped him if there had been more top-level pros playing at the tournament. If Eagle was there and if Ricky was there. But, you know, despite that, I, I just feel like it it is it undersells the 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 round in a big way. Uh, and and you, you can look back. You know, you want to talk about greatest round ever. You look back, and it's uh, the currently... The highest rated round, and there's actually an article on the PDGA about this. Uh, you can find it's like through May 2017, best rounds ever. It's Paul McBeth's 1132 rated um, 2013 Memorial, where he shot a 39, and I believe that was 17 under, um, which obviously is an incredible round, but it it still feels like this deserves better than 1108. Oh, no question. I mean, the, the, when you look at the greatest rounds, first of all, when you look at the best rounds that have ever been thrown, we put together a short list uh, with, a, with an assist from the Reddit thread that was put up about this. The five best rounds that I could find in the history, or I'll say the modern era because things weren't kept quite as tight back in the day, Paul has four of those rounds. This one, 18 under. 2013 Memorial, which was at Fountain Hills, 17 under. The Daylock course record at 15 under. Yeah, that was last 2013, year. Yep. 2013 Vibram Open at Maple Hill, 14 under. 
I mean, and then, you know, shout out in my opinion, in my opinion, probably tied or just like to be behind Paul's memorial round for greatest round ever is Patrick Brown's 2010 performance at the U.S. Masters where he shot 17 down. And he was an, at that point, he no sponsor, nothing, just a guy from San Francisco killing it. Barry Schultz comes in with a 15 down and Patrick comes in with 17. Um, and that was on the Hedrick course at the IDGC for those interested. But you look at the best rounds in history, Paul owns four of them. But this one wasn't the highest rated. That's crazy. It's crazy to me. So here's a question. Does it – should it include – like when you assess this round, should you include the fact that it yielded a sports center feature as part of your assessment? Or do you have to try to block that out when you're thinking about just like raw golf? No, 100%. I mean, when you look, when if let's give a, I like giving PGA Tour examples. Um, and I'm blanking on the year in the tournament, but a couple years back, Tiger Woods went to like an eight hole playoff. Uh, Macbeth is on my brain. I can't think of anything else. But, but Tiger Woods, like the last uh, PGA Tour or major he won. And he had to go to like that eight hole playoff on a torn ACL and he still won. I mean, the fact that he tore his ACL while he's playing, like that counts. You can't just be like, oh, well, you know, whatever injury aside, he, he won it in eight. No, like that's one of his greatest performances because of how he did it. I mean, when Jordan Spieth won the masters and set the scoring record for Augusta national for the masters tournament, it matters how young he is. I think everything around the tournament matters. And, you know, well, obviously that brings in some criticism and you could say, okay, it wasn't the world championship. It, you know, a couple other big players weren't there, whatever. What this round, what he did unsuspectingly at this tournament anyway, and then the media coverage that follows, I think absolutely plays into it. There's no way you can, I mean, I mean, how do you slice it? What, what are you going to do in the future? Are you going to say, Oh, well he made 13 putts inside of 15 feet instead of 13 putts outside of 15 feet. So it's not the, you know what I mean? Like you're starting to split hairs at that point. Right. Right. Yeah. And you know, I think there's also something to be said for it being an 18 under. That that number matters. Like, there's a difference between 17 under and 18 under, besides the stroke. Like, that it, it it's like throwing a no-hitter versus a one-hitter. Like a one-hitter. You had a great pitching performance, but no one cares. Like, they'll talk about it for 24 hours, and then no one cares. Well, you throw a no-hitter, people might talk about that in a decade. People are going to talk about this 18 under in a decade. Because it's 18 under. Now, the, the only thing, the only thing that could solely this round is the fact that he got a par. That's what I was going to ask it up you. with an eagle. Yeah. And, and, I, and I do think it, it ever so slightly takes some luster off. But I don't know. I, I just feel like you have to look at it in its totality. And, there, you know, it, it leaves the door open, I guess, for someone to improve on this round, which is kind of cool. Like somebody could shoot under par on every hole 
and maybe have a better day. And like, that doesn't seem likely, but no one saw an 18 under coming either. So here we are. I like that positive spin on it. Uh, especially no one saw an 18 under cause the, the course average for the second round was two and a half strokes under par. The <laughs> average round there was not even three under. <laughs> And he shot oh my 18. God. So, okay, let me ask you. Let me ask you two questions then on this. In your opinion, is this a no-no or is this a perfect? How do you rate this? I, I see it as more of a no-no. Okay, I, I think perfect implies perfect. You can't hit a batter. You can't throw a par. You got to get them all. And. While I think that a, a performance of this magnitude deserves comparison to things like no hitters or perfect games or, you know, 10 RBI games or, you know, 65 point game in basketball, you, you, you name it, you name it. Every sport has its incredible feat. I think that this, again, like there's a. I'm not going to say there's an asterisk, but I I think there is the sense that what could have been, what could have been, even though it was incredible, there's still a sense of that, you know, if he could have birdied that one, he would have broken the sport. Um, and, and now there's maybe room for it to happen in the future. All right. Follow up to that. I don't disagree with what you said, by the way. I personally, for me, I can't really, I can't force myself off the fence. I understand both arguments. Um, some people say 18 under is a perfect round because you averaged under par for every hole. And then the other side is your argument. So let's follow it up with this question. If it wasn't Paul Macbeth, if it was any other player, let's leave Ricky out to make it a little more of a clean discussion, but let's say it was any other player. Do we split hairs that much? Or another way to look at it, would we be more excited or as excited? I think we would not be as excited. I think it matters that it's Paul. The same way that it matters that it was on Sports Center. I, I, I think I, I'm not going to say people wouldn't be excited. Of course they would be excited, but it wouldn't have the same, you know, magnitude that it does because it's Paul, who is clearly, clearly, clearly the most marketable player in the sport by a distance, despite the fact that he's not playing his best golf this year. And, you know, I, I don't think that that really goes one way or the other in terms of, you know, here's a question for you. I'll throw it back at you. Would okay. it make sports center if it was another player? Mm hmm. That's hard to judge. It is hard to judge because you really don't know what ESPN's thinking. And hopefully we're going to have an interview with the guy who pitched and produced the spot on SportsCenter. So keep an eye out for that. No guarantees. We're dealing with some PR stuff, but hopefully we're going to get that and hear more about that. But it feels to me like the fact that it was Macbeth does add some percent chance for it to get on SportsCenter versus another player. I mean, it definitely does for us. Like, I understand it, it matters for us, but the question is, if you don't know any pro disc golfers, does it matter? Like, the average Joe 
you know, kicking back and watching NASCAR and talking about no. people in tie-dye shirts throwing Frisbees, and that's what they think the sport is, doesn't matter to them. Of course it doesn't. But I think it yeah. matters to the guy at ESPN who clearly knew about disc golf enough to go hunt this down and, and pitch it. You think that was like the thing that went over the top where he went to the producer and he's like, oh, by the way, this guy won four world titles in a row and he's the number two player in the world. Like, sure. do you think that was the thing that we're like, I mean, oh. I, I am to be clear, I'm completely speculating, but sure. It seems likely to me that somebody would have had to at least know something about the sport for this to even make the air. It's not like people are sitting around looking for this kind of stuff. I mean, it's not like right. it was a crazy ace that went viral. This was a totally. story inside of disc golf. This wasn't a national story. This wasn't the this wasn't the albatross. This was a singularly great performance in a, in a tiny, tiny niche sport. That's so, actually a really good comparison right there. Talking about the way the Albatross went viral and the way this gained national traction happened very, very differently. Definitely. You know, it, like, I think that – I think it's a surprise to a lot of us that that made SportsCenter. I was – you know, I heard about I heard about the 18 down round, and I was like, "Man, that's phenomenal!" Obviously, historic best round of all time. I didn't expect Sports Center to do that. No chance, not definitely. But I, I I fully expected every media outlet once the clip that they put out of Philo's albatross to go viral. I fully expected all the media outlets to pick it up after that. Easy. I mean, it's it's click it's clickbait. It's an incredible visual shot that anyone can appreciate yeah and, and it's not so, to say that people can't like sports fans can't appreciate an 18 under and multiple 50 foot putts and like understand that that's a great thing but it's clearly not as accessible right a 14 year old right. who doesn't give a shit about golf isn't going to get excited about this whereas the albatross like was getting memed by major companies uh, so I, I think there's obviously just a difference in the, in kind of like the visual impact, but, and, and that's what makes it so crazy and impressive and exciting that the round did get onto sports center in a more meaningful way than the albatross. Yeah. It wasn't viral first, right? ESPN was like broke the story in the mainstream sports media, essentially like they they were further up in the chain, closer to the source. You know, I mean, I think they put, I think it's, I'll tell you something from my experience. Uh, for a while, spin TV had the most aces on the top 10 and, and I'm pretty sure we've been surpassed, you know, obviously in the past uh, year or so. But the one thing that I, I constantly did for spin TV was I would send them clean, video like no graphics or anything i would send them clean video and they're like yeah you can put the spin tv logo on it or or tell us and we'll write it in as a courtesy at the top but for if you notice in the sports center highlight clip all of the jomez graphics package was still in there they didn't i guess they didn't ask for or maybe they wanted it on such a short amount of time that they didn't care that there was all this other branding in there and they even and ESPN even added their own little score box in the top left. Um, but that is important because they were so much closer to the source and on so much of a tighter turnaround to put a two minute package together right. versus, you know, just, hey, send me one clip and we'll put it on at midnight. Uh, so 
if we look back and, and if we if we do end up seeing this as a milestone in the sport, remember that distinction, because I do think that's important. Well, now that we're, you know, whatever it is, 30 minutes plus into the show, we should maybe acknowledge that, you know, Willie Prince had a great weekend, finished second. Nicolo Castro playing some of his best golf of the year. And, you know, we might be talking a lot more about him in another week had Macbeth not gone nuclear. Um, you know, I, I know that you particularly, Jamie, were impressed with Nico this weekend and, and enjoyed watching him play. So uh, thoughts on his performance? Nico is a fun player to watch when he is playing as well as he did. And that's the real the biggest shame of this entire weekend. If you want to find any is that what Nico did is overshadowed. I mean, we haven't seen him a whole lot this year and he comes out swinging. His putt looks smooth. His temper was under control for the most part. I mean, he got a little frustrated in, on the latter half of the tournament, but I feel for the guy. I mean, he's playing lights out, and he's just being completely overshadowed. You know, the, the commentary team, you know, Risley and, and Colin kept saying it, like, Nico, four down through five holes, five down through six holes, and two off the pace. <laughs> you know, how ridiculous is that? I so mean, ridiculous. He threw some phenomenal shots, some absolutely beautiful turnover shots. You know, he was he was getting aggressive with forehand rollers. You know, even when he wasn't getting the birdie, he was saving the par with great putts. It was a tremendous weekend for Nico and, you know, just a player who is almost as exciting as Macbeth is, in all honesty. He has that same kind of electricity that he can bring to a gallery and to have them both on the same card was was a pure treat. It was an absolute treat to watch. Uh, totally. Uh, and, you know, again, Willie Prince, 14 under in the final round. And that, that six-stroke differential over Locastro in round three was enough to push him into second place. So a little, uh, a little home cooking for Willie Prince. And, you know, he, he matched Macbeth in the front nine. He was 10 under through nine in that final round and uh, ended up only boarding four of the last nine holes to, to finish at 14 under. But, hey, nice job, Willie Prince. Maybe we'll see more of him later. Yeah, in the land where McBeast is king, the Prince played pretty daggone well. You've been waiting to say that, haven't you? Been sitting I actually on that just, one. Just that popped into the head. I was like, oh, my God, his name it's is so Prince. perfect. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, hey, the Konopiche Day Open is coming up, and it's a major. Konopiche Day, Here yes. we are, major number Finally. one on the year. And we get a little extra drama heading into it with all this Great Lakes Open action. Uh, and, you know, it's it's not every player is going. The MPO side, very strong. Uh, FPO, no Paige Pierce. Yikes. So she's not going to, at least currently, not signed up to play at Konopiche Day. Um which notably is a little odd considering that she uh, has been in Europe recently. So uh, I don't know if maybe something's going to change in the last minute, but right now not playing um, and uh, neither is Sarah Hokum. So it's, it's really Katrina Allen and then a lot of uh, European players. Uh, some, who, some who play stateside a little bit more, uh, others who really only play in Europe. Um, so uh, it's a it's a fantastic 
beautiful place to play golf. And I, I know I'm excited to watch the coverage just because I think the combination of the challenge of the length of the course along with the, just the spectacular scenery makes this one of my favorite stops on the tour every year. It's on my bucket list. It's I've been lucky enough to see Yarva. I've seen the Beast. Uh, I've I've seen Japan Open and Aussie Open. I've seen some of the great courses that the international majors are played on. I have not yet seen or been to the Czech Republic, or I guess they call it Czechia now. It's no longer the Czech Republic. So I have not been over to Czechia and seen the Konopiste course, but I'm dying to. I mean, it just looks gorgeous. And Paige, I think we have to officially at this point say, rest in peace, the discussion about her having the greatest season ever. Wow. I'm, I'm over it. Wow. Hey, you, you cannot skip a major. You cannot. I don't care if you play all the Pro Tour events. No disrespect to the Pro Tour. Great tour. They're grinding out there. They're doing a great job. Majors are still king in this sport. And and we always talk about – what do we always talk about, Charlie? We talk about Worlds. We talk about USDGC. And we talk about the European Major, which usually we're talking about European Open. But Konopiste has everything except the historical pedigree to match the level of European Open because it's just a little newer. But every, every in every other way, it has the pedigree. These are the three biggest events in our sport. And the best female player maybe ever just is a no-show? Come it's on. Weird. It's weird. I, I wonder what's going on there. It's very, very strange. Um, but, I, you know, I'm not ready to say that. I'm not ready to say RIP. I, I want to see how the rest of the season plays out. But it's definitely, like, you, 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 you've automatically nullified your chances of getting the major sweep and that that seems bad for when it comes to trying to find the greatest season ever yeah and you're the favorite you're the favorite to win every major right in in a here's what is upsetting to me as a fan and i'm a huge fan of Paige pierce i'm not trying to just be overly critical but you have only three majors this year you have the opportunity to complete the grand slam you know, you're the favorite. The floor is coming up in the FPO division, and it's going to get harder and harder every year to for her to stay the as far out in front of a favorite as she is. This is the year where if you want to be in this discussion for greatest season ever, you have to get the Grand Slam. I mean, especially if you don't want us to consider gender. If you want us to consider across all disc golf seasons ever played, then you're looking at seasons like Macbeth when he completed the Grand Slam. He had five majors, which has not happened since. Right. When Climo had his greatest season, he won 26 out of 27 tournaments. My God. You know, so not only did Paige, well, and not only did Paige not go to the Great Lakes Open, because I, I believe she was in Iceland, which following her on social media, Iceland just looks completely epic. And, you know, if you're from Iceland, holler at me. I'd love to come play some courses with you out there but she doesn't go to great lakes open so she she can't win all the pro tour events she's lost the last pro tour event previous to that and she lost the last national tour and now she's not going to play the major now i get it if you're going to make the argument she's pulling an eagle 
where, hey, I'm not going to play a couple of these events. I'm going to I'm going to hang out and, you know, pace myself so I make it through this season. But, you know, we're also not having the discussion about Eagle and whether he's having the greatest season. We've never even really entertained that, despite the fact that he's won three out of the four national tour events. So for me, this is that's it, because even if she wins every tournament, even if she plays and wins every tournament on the national tour, pro tour, major circuit after this, she still didn't grand slam and and she still lost a pro tour and a national tour event. So does that mean she's not the greatest female player of all time? Absolutely not. She still is in my mind, but in terms of this season for me, that's going to do it. I don't know how you feel, Charlie. I, like I said, I'm still sitting tight, but, it's it's definitely a black mark. She doesn't play, and I I will await the full conclusion of the season to make an assessment. But I I understand your perspective here, and it's there's no question that this feels like it's a part of a pretty now significant midseason slump. Um, KonaPeachDayOpen.com has some real cool info about the course and the tournament. Go check it out. There's some, there's a nice little article that uh, Jamie linked me to here uh, about the front nine course and just all the photos and just check it out. It's it's, it's a it's really just a fantastic looking course and I'm uh, looking forward to following along uh, here stateside. So we're going to take a, another brief break. When we come back, we're going to make our Konopiste picks and uh, we're getting right back on that train of the picks contest. So Stick around, you're listening to The Upshot. This is meteorologist Jacob Wilkins with your Upshot weather forecast, presented by Friction Gloves. The first pro major of the year takes place this weekend in Konopiste, Czech Republic. A pesky area of low pressure may bring showers to the opening round on Thursday, especially during the morning. Otherwise, westerly winds around 15 km per hour will be possible alongside highs around 20 degrees Celsius. That's about 70 degrees for the folks back in the States. As the area of low pressure departs the region on Friday, westerly winds may increase to around 20 km per hour as highs top out in the low to mid-20s. Westerly winds will continue into the weekend rounds as highs once again top out into the mid-20s. Don't let weather affect your game. Friction gloves help provide a consistent grip in all conditions. Visit www.frictiongloves.com to grab a pair today. Welcome back to The Upshot. Before we get to our Kono Piste picks, just got a couple of little stats to note about uh, the Great Lakes Open and just some some info from the history books on this tournament. So, Jamie, what do you got? Well, we almost let this one slip away, but really appreciate Alex Colucci sending uh, us this email with some really cool kind of insider info on the Great Lakes Open past winners. And I think it's pertinent because we're starting the swing of the majors where here in July we're going to have Kono Piche Day. In two months, we're going to have Worlds, and then a month after that, or like three weeks after that, we're going to have USDGC. So as we look at the majors, Alex sends me, by my count, 11 players who have won Open or Open Women's Pro Worlds, aka become the world champion in either MPO or FPO division, have won the Great Lakes Open at least once since 1984. Wow. Some pretty important names in here. Steve Wisecup, Elaine King, 
Ken Climo. Big names. Uh, Juliana Corver's in there. Barry Schultz. Cam Todd. Jay Redding. Alan Wasaki Hokum. Big names. Big names there. So Great Lakes Open has been a good predictor of world champions. There's not necessarily... Uh, they're not necessarily always in the same order. Great Lakes Open may have been after Worlds in some years, but there is there has been a pretty significant number of big names. And the fact that Great Lakes Open hasn't been on the national tour circuit for a few years, uh, it, I think is important if you want to uh, call, if you want to reopen your discussion about who's the favorite to win Worlds this year, this might be a good stat for you to uh, debate with your friends. So thanks, Alex, for that one. Yeah, great stuff, and there's plenty more info on UltiWorld Disc Golf to kind of dig into. Um, a nice article about it's kind of like the statistical look at the Macbeth round, and kind of what what it what it is by the numbers from Aaron Howard. Just like how exceptional it was that you know he his round was in the 99.5 percentile. So that gives you a little uh, little teaser from that article, but go check it out. Uh, good stuff there. And you know, we've already talked a little bit about how, you know, if Macbeth hadn't just completely gone ballistic in round two, that you know, it, it could have been a closer event. You know, you got Willie Prince right there having a really, really good final day. Um, and, uh, you know, here's the big question, and I'll just ask it as a kind of a preview to our Kona Piche picks. Are you going to let this round from Macbeth influence your picks? Do you think this could yield more success this weekend in uh, the Czech Republic? Yes, I am. I, I am going to let it influence my picks. There, There's no question. I mean, he just the way Paul talked about it and when he said, you know, a lot of what he was doing was trying to get himself ready for the majors. And he said he basically, I'm paraphrasing heavily here, but he basically was saying that he got into the mindset to play like this was a major so that he could be ready for that. Because um, you know Paul cares about first places and he cares about winning the biggest title possible. So, you know, no disrespect to Great Lakes Open. I don't think Paul personally – it's not that he didn't care if he won because obviously he wants to win everything he enters, but he – he kind of admitted that he was overlooking the title at the Great Lakes Open and just using it as a high stakes practice for the three big majors coming up. So, yeah, it's going to influence me. All right. Well, uh, well, I guess we'll have to just see what happens. You know, he's he's probably on his way over there right now. Maybe he just got in. He's not going to have too much time to practice before the tournament starts. Something to keep an eye on as we get ready for the event. Now, Kono Piste Picks coming up. Uh, we'll start an FPO. And again, no Paige Pierce, no Sarah Hokum. We have our listener this week lined up. It's Keith Elgart, who's the owner of Element Discs. Just a little, little, a little bonus note for Keith. And he's got his picks in, so I'll start there. And then I'll kick it over to you, Jamie. Again, we know the listeners are killing us, but hopefully we can get some points back this week. Uh, in, uh, third place FPO, Keith has Katrina Allen, second place, Evelina Salonen, and in first place to take the title, he's got Vanessa Van Dyken. 
Wow. So, yeah. Kind of a spicy Keith. pick there from Keith. I love it. All right. <laughs> uh, Jamie, what you got? I know Keith's in my element with those pocket picks. Vanessa Van Dyken, I like the call. I don't agree, but I love the call. Um, I'll start in third place. I have Evelina Salonen. And I know that if you've been following her game, you might think that's a little bit of blasphemy because she has kind of been the rising star in the European FPO scene. But let me tell you about the best FPO player nobody is talking about, question mark. How about Hina Blomrus? No, Blomrus. Blomrus. I think that's how you say it. Correct me if I'm wrong, people. Blomrus uh, sounds right to me, but I'm not, I'm no expert. Based on the spacing of the O's in the name, I think that's what it is. So, Henna is a Team Pro Discus member. I'm not sure how old she is, but what I do know is that she has played three A-tiers this year. She has won all of those A-tiers, and she has beat Evelina by at least eight strokes at all three of those events. Whoa. Yes. She's also 942 rated, so no slouch there for that rating in the women's division. And if you go back to last year, her worst finish in 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14 FPO entries, mm-hmm. her worst finish was fifth. And that includes uh, six wins. Six wow. wins, and I guess that would make uh, – looks like six wins, six second places, a third and a fifth. And she even played a C-tier in MPO and got 14th. So Hena Blomrus is definitely someone you need to be watching out for. She is from Rauma, Finland, and I have her in second place by the thinnest of margins because Katrina Allen – has also won the last four tournaments she has entered. She has found her game. And one thing I love about the mindset of Katrina Allen is she doesn't care. Going over to Europe, not making quite as much on the profit margin does not matter to her. She's got a competitor's mindset. She wants to go in and win. This is a major. So I have no reason to think she's not going to be locked in and that it won't be a battle down to the very end. FPO is going to be very interesting. Who you got, Charlie? All right. Well, that information that you just shared about Hannah Blomrus changes my picks a little bit. We do differentiate somewhat. Uh, I have Katrina in first, and I am going to put Hannah Blomrus in second, considering the information that you have just shared. But in third place, I have Vanessa Van Dyken rather than Evelina Salonen. So a, a bit of differentiation here. Nobody has the exact same picks. And uh, should make it for a fun week in FPO. It almost seems like your, your that information hurt your feeling about Evelina more than it helped your feeling about Henna. Well, yes, I would say that's fair. I just feel like, you know, somebody like Blomrus who never was playing stateside, who we don't know much about. I mean, you got to go with the numbers. And dominant wins... Eight, I mean, eight strokes, that, that's not close. And like Evelina Salon is a name I know a bit more, but I, I feel like I need to trust the numbers here. So I appreciate you uh, getting up on the box there first and showing me how it's done so that I can 
I can I can tail your shot. Hey, at this point, we just got to catch the listeners because <laughs> remember, true. we we do have a bit of a, a semi mulligan this week because we didn't That's have right. a listener, so we get to take the lower scores between Kono Piste and Utah. So lucky we'll, we'll be on the same team. We'll be on the same team yeah, for this week for for a moment. Yeah. Um, MPO Keith has third place Paul Macbeth. Second place, Simon Lazat. Okay. First place, Eagle McMahon. Ooh. So nothing too crazy there. I think Simon in second is definitely a little bit of a, you know, kind of off the board pick somewhat. Um, obviously, Simon has done well at this tournament in the past, won it two years ago. And, uh, you know, but rolling with Eagle. And I, I can't not fault him for that. Noticeably Eagle. absent. Is last year's winner from Keith's picks. Truth. Ricky that Wysocki. was Ricky Wysocki. Last year, top three finishers were Wysocki, Macbeth, and Sexton. Although three of those players will be back this year. Maybe we'll see Nate Sexton play well. He didn't make my picks. Um, but uh, I'll go first this time, Jamie, since I just had you go first FPO. Okay. I've got Ricky Wysocki in third. I've got Macbeth in second. I like the way he's playing, obviously. And McMahon. I'm taking Eagle to win it. And, uh, you know, I just a couple weeks in a row now where I've rolled with these three guys and I just when I sit down, I look at it, I, I, I don't feel that I have confidence in other players to surpass them right now. I think it's just going to be back and forth battle between those guys for most of the year. So you think those three have elevated enough yes. over everybody else at this point where it's really hard to go to the pocket? Yep. I, I can understand that. I, I, do, I don't hate the pocket pick, but I, I just... You know, you look at these guys. Every day, go to a tournament, they win. If True. they're not, unless they're playing each other. I mean, I, I I'm impressed by the eagle pick. I know he's won three out of four NTs, and I know that I've said he's my favorite to win worlds. And maybe this is the Paul factor, and what just has happened this week. But I think um, it's that's picking him to win his first major. And he did just kind of, I guess, I guess, stumble a little bit and dropped a tournament, which had relatively, you know, not that much competition. Um, it's it's kind of interesting, you know. He, I, I think it was the Parnu Open that he just dropped and got second place. So, I think between those two things, leading into my picks here, I am going to have to put. I don't want to do it. I, I really don't want to just go with the best three players in the world. But I have to. It's I mean, I, I agree. It's yeah, major. it's a major. It's a major. And if, if I'm going to be consistent in my logic, then I have to put Ricky in third. I got to put Eagle second. And I mean, he's doing it. I'm doing it. I, he's the greatest player in the modern era of disc golf. I don't care what anybody else says. Nobody has done as many things on and off the course for this sport. Maybe it's just because he played 18 down. Maybe just because he smashed the field by nine. But I'm going to ride with Paul Macbeth. I mean, I know he's getting in there late. I know that he's gonna. it's going to be a shorter time to adjust to European time standards and and i totally understand that this pick could bite me and paul could finish like 13th because the jet lag is no joke and and the come down after having the week he's had it's very possible but if you don't believe 
into something. It, why, if you're going to believe in something, why not believe in the best possible thing that could happen? And if he could start a run and potentially do another Grand Slam victory lap and throw the greatest round of all time in the same season, then we're talking about we're talking about Climo's greatest of all time argument not looking quite as shiny in regards to Paul's. So I've got to roll with it. I got to believe in it. So I'll go a little different. I'll go Paul, then Eagle, then Ricky. And it's just going to come down to who wins. Wow. Okay. Now let me just I'll put you on the spot. All right. Greatest player in the modern era. Okay. That's fine. Does this do enough? Does this past weekend do enough to put him past Climo in your mind? Or, or is the jury still out? The jury is still out, but you can hear the chorus of voices in that room starting to agree. And mainly, I will totally admit from my opinion, mainly that's due to my respect for Climo. And nine world titles in a row, going nine out of ten for a decade, and having a season where he won 26 out of 27 tournaments, you know... Those numbers, I don't care who you're playing against because I made the argument for Paul that it doesn't matter who you're playing against. If Ricky was there, the 18 down is not any more or less impressive. The 18 down is still the 18 down. Climo still put it on the stat sheet, and he still won those events, and he still did a lot of heavy lifting for the sport. But for me, the jury is still out, but getting very close to a decision. If Paul... I'll put it this way. I'll, I'll, I'll predict it this way. If Paul can do the Grand Slam, Grand Slam cycle this year, he's the greatest of all time. There, there will be no more doubt in my mind. If he can win Worlds, then you're going to... I mean, the door is cracked open to that jury room at that point. But I think for me to say this year that he is the greatest player of all time, give me one Grand Slam, and I don't think... Anybody that says Climo can honestly put him anything more than a 1B. Just my opinion. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. And it starts this weekend at the Kona Piche Day Open. Enjoy, everyone. Have a great weekend. Thanks for tuning in. This was a fun one. Jamie, uh, I'll talk to you soon. I'll be in Cincinnati next week on location for the World ultimate club championships kind of like champions league for ultimate frisbee happens every four years so uh it should be fun and maybe i'll give a little insight into what's going on over at the the world ultimate championships when we talk next time for the pod yeah let's do that and i'm going to be spending sunday which is my birthday following the live scoring on disc golf metrics that's one thing we probably should point out before oh we sign yes off. let's do that uh it's not on udisc and I think uh, Metrics is basically the European U-Disc for the Disc Golf World Tour followers. It was the system they used. And it's not quite as intuitive to use as U-Disc. So I want to give you guys just a quick rundown on how to get there so you can follow along with the live stats and the live scoring. You just go to discgolfmetrics.com, and Metrics is M-E-T-R-I-X. So discgolfmetrics.com. You have to have a login. It's free. Uh, They don't send you any spam or anything. I've had an account for years Um, but they just, you make an account, you log in for free, you click over to find competitions, 
you can change it. It usually defaults to whatever country your internet provider's in. So click over to Chechia or click all countries. You'll see Konopishte, click on that. And then there's a drop down menu where you select what round you want to watch. And then you'll get the nice grid look, uh, kind of like you see on UDisk. So a couple more steps to see to get there, but they are going to do live scoring um, for, I believe, all of the cards. So tune into that. That is discgolfmetrics.com for the Kono Peach Day Open. You know, having to log in is really irritating. I'm just going to put that out there. They, they should really change that. I get what they're doing. It's just, I just want to see the scores. I want to be able to just see the scores. So you just has spoiled us. It's it's set a really high bar. Yes, and it no should doubt. be easy to follow the action at an event like this one. So hopefully the PDGA has live scoring going on their website, but they probably won't. So I guess it is what it is. But you see, if you're listening, come on, man, make it so that we can look at the scores without having to, you know, give all of our personal information. That's gonna do it. Should be a fun one. Jamie, talk to you next time. This was The Upshot. Thanks for listening. See ya.